0: Good morning. My name is Pastor Ed, one of the pastors here at Faith. Last week, Pastor Derek introduced us to the new series we're doing through the summer called By Faith. And I really appreciated his introduction. Uh, Because often in culture, words lose their meaning. We tend to overuse words and they get separated from the original intent or definition, and faith is one of those words. We throw out that word faith, we may say something like keep the faith, don't lose faith, hold on to your faith, faith moves mountains, and so on, and so on. But last week, Derek, to help us recapture the original understanding, to provoke a different response in us, this word faith, Pastor Derek used the definition which states confidence, faith is confidence that results in action. You know, I like that because confidence resonates with me. I understand confidence or the lack thereof. I like what one writer said. Uh, He prefers to use God confidence wherever he thinks of faith. God confidence. Uh, How is your God confidence? Does your God-confidence prompt a response or action? Well, this morning I want us to see our God-confidence to grow. But let's imagine first, rather than laboring under an expectation that it's all or none, you either have to be completely confident uh, in God or not at all. Let's imagine that you have a a bucket inside you that's labeled God-confidence. And it's filled with God confidence, say up to 72%. 72%. Result of this series, by faith and even this morning, make it your goal to increase your confidence in God more. To see that bucket increasingly get filled towards a complete confidence. Most people must wean themselves off of self-confidence for God-confidence. Don't get me wrong, you know, self-confidence is good, self-confidence is important, but often a good thing can become a bad thing when it is turned into an idol. When you desire self-confidence more than God-confidence, you have made self-confidence an idol. We are given a window into the confidence that Abel had in God. And this window is provided, the curtains to the window of Abel's God confidence is provided by seeing the offering that he brings to his God. With Abel, we can truly say, actions speak louder than words. So let's look, we're looking in this series at Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm just going to be focusing on verse 4. So Hebrews 11:4, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. This is what I want to do this morning. I want to break out the three sentences in that one verse. And I want to go to the original account in Genesis 4 and allow it to illuminate the four sentences here in Hebrews 11. Uh, Three sentences, excuse me. And these three sentences are, again, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And I want us to just answer one question. What made Abel's offering to God better? Then the second sentence there in Hebrews 11:4? we see by faith Abel was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his suffering, of his offerings. And so I will want to answer another question there. What made Abel righteous? And then the last sentence by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. How does Abel still speak? So that first sentence, let's look there. By faith, we read in Hebrews eleven four. By faith, or God confidence, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. What made Abel's offering to God better? Well, let's go back into Genesis chapter 4, the actual writing of this account. And let's look there at Genesis 3 to 5. And it tells us there, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. There are different thoughts as to why one offering was more acceptable than to the others. You know, many will point to the fact that one was an animal, a live animal that was slain. Foreshadowing the coming Messiah and and the slaying of Christ. The shedding of the blood of an animal that God demanded in the Old Testament sacrificial system. What made the offering acceptable, though, was the posture of the heart of the person giving the offering. The offering merely pulled back the curtain of Abel's mind. Revealing what was already true inside him. His thoughts about The creator, God, the God of his father, Adam, the God that had revealed himself to him. Abel's offering flows out of a person who was harboring great thoughts, magnificent thoughts of God. His actions and his response then speak louder than words. The bringing of his best to give to God spoke volumes about Abel's adoration of God. When sometimes words would have been inadequate, could not have expressed. Abel gives his best that he has. We read there that Abel uh, uh, gives from the firstborn It demanded uh, costing the life, but it was the firstborn. It was amongst his very best, the cream of his livestock. But it was not too much to give and to offer. It is in the offering, the price that Abel paid to give it, that we see what Abel really thought about God which makes that offering so valuable to God. But now we contrast uh, Cain's offering that he brings. latter part of verse 5 there, it tells us that, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. That's because we read that Cain just brought from some of the fruits of his labor, It was understandable that Cain would bring the fruit, uh, uh, produce from his labor because he farmed. And God sometimes found it most appropriate for grain offerings and fruit offerings that it was appropriate to bring. But what's glaringly different between Cain and Abel, whereas Abel brings from his firstborn, we read in the text there that Cain brought some Of the fruits of the soil. Perhaps leftovers. Perhaps that which is convenient. Perhaps that which is uh, easier to relinquish and to give up. That reflects what was in Cain's heart. Cain was a religious man. He brought an offering. We can commend him for that. But God wants far more. Than a token offering. He wants something deeper. On the outside. The fruit of the ground. May look like a great offering. But what God wants most from Cain. He is not willing to give. Cain wants a token offering. To be sufficient for God. God wants Cain, not his tokenism. God wants the best. God wants from Cain's best. And that is a surrendered Cain. Abel gave himself. Cain did not. Let's look at the second one. A sentence there from uh, Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. What made Abel righteous? Well, again, let's look at the rest of the story in Genesis. And as we look at it, we find it's more about Cain than it is about Abel. God uses Cain to teach us what not to do. To help us understand what to do. It is a great thing when we learn from other people's mistakes. And we do not have to repeat them. And so let's do that with Cain. We see in light of um, Cain's offering and God's response in verse 5. That Cain at the very end. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Cain was very angry. Never let anger go wasted. Your anger is telling you something about yourself. Cain, harness your anger. It is revealing something about yourself and your thoughts about God. It is revealing a blind spot in you. It is becoming an obstacle in your growing as a follower of God Almighty. Um, Currently, we have been encouraging our church family to go through this seminar, Pursuing Peace Together. Uh, Great seminar, it's at our website. We've asked the whole church family and Faith Christian School, and uh, we want you to make sure you engage with it. Go watch that video, but we also have participant workbooks. We're asking our life groups to take time and engage with conversation or around the five sessions, there and the workbooks are out in the lobby. But what they present in the seminar, they talk about desire. Desire. They make it clear that desire is not bad, but when you want it to the degree that you demand it, it then becomes an idol. Cain's anger should tell him that he is desiring something so badly that he's demanding it to get that desire to the point of not just anger. Let anger be your first indication, but it turns to rage, and then it turns to murder. I think James 4 1 to 3 is a great commentary on Cain. Here's where it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, and so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. Don't waste anger. Listen to what it's telling you. God believes in it so much that he asked Cain a question in verse 6, a great question, whenever you are besieged with anger. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why are you angry? If I put myself into Cain's mind, I would imagine Cain may say something. Well, I'm angry, God, because my offerings are never good enough for you. Understand uh, Typically, people who are angry, even myself, often I don't even know why I'm angry. And if I'm asked, why am I angry, often my first response is not the real reason why I'm angry. It takes time to take a step back. And as though God is asking, no, Ed, why are you angry? I like to practice to sometimes help me do some of this internal work of the spirit, what I believe that God's spirit can use, what they call the downward arrows. And I I, uh, imagine in my mind a conversation between God and Cain using the downward arrows that might go something like this. And I just offer it so that you can uh, maybe get a better understanding and use it to help you When you are besieged with anger and you hear God saying to you, why are you angry? And if you want to get down closer to the root of that anger. So here's what the dialogue looks like where God comes. We already read there in verse 6, you know, why are you angry? And uh, again, I'm imagining here that Cain may say something like, I brought you an offering like you asked, but it was not good enough for you. Then God well. Why does it make you angry when something's not good enough for me? Cain, because I want your approval. Well, then God, why do you want my approval? Cain, because then I can feel better about myself. God, why do you want to feel better about yourself? Cain, I'm happier. Life is more pleasant. I can keep my head up. God, why do you want a happy and pleasant life? Well, then life is worth living. It feels good. God, why do you want a life worth living that feels good? Cain, I don't know. I just want it. What if you don't get it? God asked. Cain, I get angry. If I do what I ask, I should get what I want. A happy and pleasant life. Often, the downward arrows will take you, that your anger is coming out of an incredible selfishness, a a sense that you are owed something, that you are demanding something, and you are holding on to it so strongly. Cain has turned a desire, not a bad desire, pleasantness, happiness, those are all good. But he wants it so bad, it turns into an idol. And when he doesn't get it, rather than knowing God, it is trying to wrestle something away from him that's blocking a relationship with Kim, he gets angry. God's questions to Cain, really? When God asks Cain, "Why are you angry?" is an incredible expression. Of compassion and mercy. Trying to lead Cain. To confession and repentance. He is still trying to help Cain understand. What he wants most. Is him. God wants Cain to know. In giving up his demands. Giving up his desires that have become idols. Life will be more worthwhile. You will find pleasantness in good times and you will find joy in trials because you will find Cain and my friends that sometimes life is outside of your control. You get back more than you give up. So I ask you folks, why are you angry? Verse 7 tells us, if you did right, will you not be accepted? But now here's this great metaphor, imagery. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Think about that phrase. Sin is crouching at your door. It's a, a... uh, illustration comes from li- like an animal, a lion, or even a, a cat that may go into hiding, a, a secret posture, laying low, hopefully not to be seen, and just waiting for its prey to jump on it. You know, not examining the root cause of your anger is allowing sin to crouch at your door. I think we all know how explosive uh, sin can come out of the, the dark and overwhelm you. Anger can become just like a, a sin that crouches at the door, and it will consume you, it will distort reality. Desires can become like a crouching lion as well. Unbeknownst to yourself, over time, subtly, a desire becomes a demand. And when you don't get it, it leads to anger. We see that's exactly what played out here in Genesis 4, 8, where it says, Now Cain said to his brother, Let's go out to the field. And while we're out there, we read that he kills his brother to such an extreme. In nine, God says, once again, we're seeing, uh, um, you know, God's incredible uh, passion or compassion and mercy for Cain. That he asks him, where is your brother? You know, whenever God asks these questions, God knows. It's an invitation for Cain to come back to confession and repentance. But rather than to confess and repent, you get a sarcastic response. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain could choose the grace of God and announce the truth, as horrible as it was, that he murdered his brother, repented, and basked in the forgiveness and grace of God. But instead, he chooses the justice of God and you read the rest of the account, he becomes a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain's unwillingness to humble himself and admit the truth within himself, he goes down in infamy as an example of what not to do. Cain chooses a path of unrighteousness. Cain is forgotten, except for what not to do. Abel leads a path of righteousness, of devotion and adoration of his heavenly father. Abel has desires, but they're all secondary to obedience that flows out of this tremendous love for God. While Abel's life was cut short in death, he outlives Cain. Abel lives today as we reflect on his legacy, as we rehearse his story. It's as though Abel is still communicating today about bring your best to offer to God as an act of your worship. What made Abel righteous? Well, you know, I, I presume Abel... You know, he had a good measure of self-confidence, but he differentiated between self-confidence and God-confidence or faith. Abel's righteousness was hinged not on his self-confidence, not on his own ability to bring a, a splendid offering, but his righteousness was built anchored in his God confidence, his faith in God and his dependence on God. His offering illustrated what was in Abel's heart. The third thing we have from Hebrews eleven four that we will conclude with is it tells us by faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Well, how does Abel speak? Well, undoubtedly, Abel heard the accounts of his father and mother eating the forbidden fruit and the results of that and the consequences. He knew from Genesis 3, where we read that at that point, enmity came between God and man, his created beings. Uh, Abel knew there was a problem, a chasm between mankind and God. Now, while Abel did not know that God was going to come down to earth as a human some 2,000 years in the future from when Abel lived, uh, while he did not know as well that God was going to make a sacrifice to address this issue of this uh, enmity, this uh, chasm between mankind and God, while he did not know that, that he was going to give himself through Jesus Christ, Abel's hope and confidence looking forward was placed in God of his father Adam. His faith or confidence rested in the God that had revealed himself to them up to that point. Abel did not need to know the future and the solution that was coming yet in the future. But what he knew and put his confidence in was in God. Abel knew that the solution to the relational problem between man and God would not be resolved by any mere human self-confidence, but a God-confidence and a God-dependence, which Abel had and embraced fully. Abel brought offerings out of this God-confidence Not knowing, in so doing, he is pointing to a time in the future. Abel serves kind of as an illustration of what is to come from his time. 2,000 years in the future, when there would be a supreme offering made. Abel gives his best. The firstborn. And there is to be a supreme offering yet to come. Abel's offering his best. But God now, God offers his best. The giver, when he gives his best, is an expression of what they think and feel towards the person they're giving to, the great love and devotion that they are willing to give from the best and not the leftovers. I think uh, Hebrews 10, 1 to 5, really is a great backdrop for this illustration of of, uh, what Abel points to. Listen to these words from Hebrews 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, Make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, therefore, God provides the supreme offering. And we read, therefore, in verse 10, we have been made holy. We have been made righteous through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. That is a a window into the heart and mind of God as to how much He loves you, that He's willing to give His best, His one and only begotten Son, as an offering on your behalf. It's good to have self confidence, but sometimes self confidence, like Cain's, he illustrates. That it can also block us from coming to God. Have you humbled yourself and received the sacrifice that Abel points to? That we can learn that there was going to come a sacrifice, another one, that would be the perfect sacrifice the one that would be offered so that once for all, no other sacrifices are needed when God gave his son, Jesus Christ. There's two parts to an offering. Certainly the giver, he has to look at his assortment of items to offer and and to give it. And what a tremendous statement as we rehearse from Abel and from God. When they look, they want it to give of the very best because of how much they value you. The other part, though, of the offering is the receiving of the offering, accepting the offering. We want people to be followers of Jesus Christ. And it starts with making the decision about inviting Jesus Christ in as your offering because of that enmity between you and God. Have you personally invited Christ into your heart, into your mind? That you could start to grow in a God confidence. It may not be 100% right from the beginning, but certainly we as followers of Jesus Christ are continually growing In our God confidence or faith. Join me in prayer. And if you're out there. And maybe you're sitting in the room. With uh, others in a smaller group. Or somehow you you came online. And and you're watching. We invite you. Right now. To humble yourself. Don't be like Cain. That his uh, pride did not allow him. His anger to confess and repent. That's why God asked that you would confess your need of a savior, that your self-confidence, as good as it is, it's not enough to gain right standing before God. Only a God dependence, a God confidence, and personally receiving the offering that he's given So if you've not done that, I invite you to just pray right there. Lord Jesus, come into my heart that I might start growing in confidence in God the Father through Christ. That I would rely upon your sacrifice for my sins. That this hostility and enmity that is between me and God would be eliminated. And I can now come boldly as a child of God to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.